Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. Bedlam in the NBA bubble. Excitement every day from 1 p.m. Eastern time till the sun has long set. The bubble has not disappointed as the postseason rolls on. We've got teams moving on to the second round. We've got teams impressing. We might need to maybe apologize a little bit for last week's show as Los Angeles Lakers fans, or maybe we just should take credit for what we said jazzed up the team and that's why they're up 3-1. Major League Baseball continues to be mostly okay on the coronavirus front and the NHL chase for the Stanley Cup is as exciting as it always is. We harken back to the NBA bubble and we harken back to our Los Angeles Lakers. We waited last week purposely to record after the first game of the series It was a mistake in doing so because we became frustrated. That's a good way to put it. Frustrated, not necessarily spooked, but frustrated and a little bit worried. And then now as we record with the Lakers up three, one with three victories as Lakers fans expected them to happen, the series really going as Lakers fans expected it to happen. And will most likely continue to go that way. Now, unfortunately, Dame Lillard won't be playing in game five, at least with a knee injury, which just kills the trailblazers. But for the Lakers, finally, for the first time in the bubble, starting with game two, they looked like the Lakers that we've seen in the regular season. And the Lakers, a lot of people thought if they play this way, can contend for the national championship. And I think what you saw last night, John, for our listeners, was in full view, the Laker team that when it is playing at its best is the best team in the NBA. Uh, I am sure buoyed by the memory of the late great Kobe Bryant and his 42nd birthday on Sunday and it being Kobe week. And it being a 24, uh, that the Lakers went out with leadership from their all-timer, LeBron James, who has great respect for Kobe Bryant, as we know, and as we saw when he passed him, ironically, the all-time scoring list just before his tragic death. LeBron James came out last night, I thought, with more spring in his step and energy that I've seen in a very long time, as did the entire team, whether it was as a group or as a result of his leadership and them following him. 
everybody on the floor, everybody running. Remember when we talked about once the last time we saw Anthony Davis uh, at the other end of the court on long passes? When was the last time you saw the Lakers running? When was the last time you saw Laker breakouts? You saw it all last night. You saw Anthony Davis just going goofy in the first quarter uh, from the free throw line from the field as they jump out of the box, 10, nothing. Uh, and eventually ironically, 24 to eight, the fr- the scoreboard that they froze and up came the tweets from Chris Paul and others, uh, Kobe in the building, miss you, et cetera, et cetera. And a coach who I think said to his team, we win with defense, defense travels, Defense never lets you down. And I, I think the approach for the Lakers has to be defend with vigor. You get easy buckets off of defense. You get three-on-twos, two-on-ones, dunks, layups, wide-open threes in transition, off terrific defense, turnovers, defensive rebound, etc. And when those easy baskets start piling up, everything else becomes so easy. A layup and a dunk on a transition makes the next wide-open three-pointer so easy to knock down, fearless to take when you're running, playing well, and everything is in rhythm. Last night, you saw the Lakers literally at their best. Will they play that good again? I doubt it because it's hard to play that good again. They were literally up by 40 against a good Blazer team, which to their credit and in their defense has to be totally and completely exhausted and they looked at last night damon Lillard looked damon Lillard looked tired before he got hurt as a group they looked tired uh, they were totally dominated inside the lakers eat them alive inside because they have no matchup uh scenarios where they can defend against ad inside uh, mcgee cleans up inside defensively on the glass of block shots howard does the same uh, their big man's a wonderful player but Still not 100%, and he can't guard anybody, uh, even when he's healthy. Uh, he can't guard any of the Laker big guys. And Anthony Davis came out early and made a statement. LeBron did as well. And when your two great players play with that kind of attitude, that kind of effort on both ends of the floor, they lead the rest of the team who literally realize they must play that way. Because if these guys are diving on the floor, if these are giving us max, they're giving us incredible max effort, and they're making all this money, and they're the guys who are leading us and carrying us, who are we to not? And it all falls into place. It all falls into place. When the leaders don't just play well, they play with enthusiasm, and they play with effort. And I know I'm, a, I'm a, an absolutely romantic, hopeless romantic, uh, a sentimental slob. But I truly believe the thoughts and memories of Kobe Bryant in their minds, in their hearts, played a large role in the approach they took to that game last night. And the way they came out and literally put that game to rest halfway through the first quarter. It was literally over seven or eight minutes into the game. Done deal. And that's the way the Lakers can play when the supporting cast plays well because I am a firm believer that you you don't need that one guy to be a third scorer. Michael and Scotty didn't need a third scorer. They just needed a guy 
at any given time to be the guy who hit the big shot or be the third scorer. It didn't have to be Paxton every night. It didn't have to be Kerr every night. It didn't have to be B.J. Armstrong or Grant every night. It had to be somebody. You know, when the Lakers had Kobe and Shaq, it could be Rick Fox. It could be Robert Ory. It could be Derek Fisher. It could be Ron Harper. It wasn't always the same guy. All the Lakers won their last two in a row with a lesser supporting cast for Kobe, but still Powell. There was no third guy every time. You know, it was Ariza. It was Fish. It was Ron Artest. It was you know, the big guy before he hurt his knee. It was any one of a combination of a number of guys who would step up at a big spot and hit some big shots. And that's, I'm not going to say all they need, but that's what these two guys need now because these are two of the five best players in the league. Wherever you want to put LeBron now, he's certainly top three. He's top two probably of guys that are playing because Durant's not playing. And I, I, I firmly believe Anthony Davis is top five player. I think he is the absolute best player in the league to combine with LeBron. I would agree with that. And I do agree as well with the notion that you don't necessarily need the big three that's been touted around the NBA for years now, really since the Celtics started it and won against the Lakers. This feeling that if you have the big three, you'll be set. What are you going to do to get that third guy? And yeah, as a fan, would you want to have a third guy on this Lakers team as a Lakers fan? Absolutely. Would you want to have that security blanket in a sense where God forbid LeBron's playing awful. Anthony Davis isn't playing well either. Maybe for that one game, the third can pick it up or you'll always have that third to fall back on in general. But now you just have a lot of role players who are capable of fulfilling in the footsteps of what a third would look like on a given night. And hopefully because they're playing with two of the best players in the world, the pressure that they might feel isn't as heavy on their shoulders when they look over and see LeBron James, when they look over and see Anthony Davis, they don't think I have to be the man tonight. So-and-so's guarding me or I'm guarding so-and-so and they're doing great offensively or they're Dean me up really well, or somebody else is getting covered. I'm open. I have to make shots. Hopefully from what we've seen in this series, that pressure isn't intensified. And I know we hollered a lot last week and rightfully so after game one, but it's, it's passion of Lakers fans, not going on national radio as an analyst and saying that the Blazers are going to beat the Lakers or sorry, Chuck, that the Blazers are going to sweep the Lakers took, took it a step step further. Charles, please. Hall of Famer, but come on, come on. And I like, we like the Blazers. We respect oh, absolutely. and what they've accomplished. They've played hard. They've played with grit. They've played with passion. They've played with skill. They've played with athleticism. But they are, have also played in this bubble playoff games now since they've been there. Every game for them has been almost a kill-or-be-killed game. And we also knew coming in that no matter how well the Blazers play, they are still an incredibly poor defensive team. And all you have to do is look at the numbers. And the Lakers are a superior defensive team. And that has really shown in all four games. 
the Lakers were fine defensively in game one. They just couldn't shoot. And, you know, we were critical uh, of LeBron. We wanted him to be more aggressive in terms of getting to the basket instead of kicking out the threes at a point in time where we thought it was necessary for the Lakers to score more. Using your superior size and athleticism closer to the basket to score at a time where they desperately needed baskets and they weren't able to knock down shots. Nick Wright, of course, tells me uh, that that's LeBron's mindset to think ahead, not just this series, but in terms of championships, these players are going to have to knock down shots. So they're going to get the ball from me and continue to have confidence. And they're going to continue to have the opportunity to shoot them. And I'm going to show them that I want them to shoot them. And eventually they're going to knock them down and, We're going to need them to knock them down to win a title. Of course, you need them to knock them down to win a title because you need the three-point shot to some degree. But I don't buy into, uh, I'm going to throw a game away because I want these guys to have the confidence that uh, I know they'll knock down shots. Even though they keep missing, uh, I'm going to keep giving them the ball. I understand the mindset. It's all about the greater goal. But to me, it's still about winning games. And when it's crunch time and push comes to shove, you know, the best play, the smart play, is not always the right play. Sometimes you have to take the bull by the horns, go to the rack, and jam in somebody's face. Whether it's Houston, whether it's Oklahoma City, whether it's the Clippers, whether it's uh, the Mavs, there is no great inside presence on any of these remaining teams defensively other than Utah. So I think the Lakers will be able to dominate inside against all of these remaining teams. Certainly no one in Houston. Two quick things on the Lakers before we run through the rest of the bubble. We have to mention, and we'd be remiss if we did not, to harken back to last week and history, really. I mean, we'll take credit on the podcast. It's probably for another reason, but nobody needs to know that. So I'm watching SportsCenter, as I often do, paying more attention because the Lakers and Blazers highlight is about to come on. So I start walking to in front of my TV and I hear what I believe to be the name Alan white Plains uttered. And I think there's no possible way. I just heard Alan white Plains on TV. Like I must've just been, in mid step or looking somewhere and my mind was elsewhere. I, I was watching the bottom, whatever the case may be. There's no way. So I keep watching the highlight and think, wow, that's, that's interesting. Maybe I'll catch that later in the night. And then who texts me, but Al in white plains to say, just made my first appearance on sports center. I went national. And I believe I responded <laughs> back with, there's no way that that just happened. So with that confirmation, Obviously, it had to be true. And sure enough, as the night wore on, I made sure I was glued in front of the TV. And I'll play it here for all the listeners. We hear the great Neil Everett, who's been on SportsCenter and part of ESPN now for at least two decades. The great Oregon Duck. Say that Alan White Plains wanted more LeBron, but he got more Anthony Davis. The Blazers, flat-footed, look tired. Alex Caruso to Davis. And one. Alan White Plains wanted LeBron James. He got Anthony Davis. Davis driving and scoring. Off the miss, Davis. Strand. Uh, what? 
I mean, obviously I Neil is a huge listener of the new report, old report, right? I'm, I mean, I'm sure that's where he heard that rant. No doubt. No doubt about it. I, I am on my couch groggy at, I guess it was about one thirty in the morning ballpark. Oh yeah. You know, late Laker game over the Laker game. had gotten out of hand. So, you know, I've got it on out of hand, but I'm doing work and I finished my work. I had a lot to do. So I finished my work and I said, I'm, I, I'm not ready to go to bed yet. Let me plop down on the couch, chill for a few minutes, Neil and Stan, which are just is the most entertaining Neil and Stan Brett late night sports center from LA across the street from uh, the Staples Center are the most entertaining. And it's not because maybe it's because it's late night. I don't know. And you're in a little giddy mood. They certainly seem like they're in giddy moods a lot together. But the point is, it's the best sports center combo since the big show with Dan Patrick and Keith Oberman. And that's no disrespect to John Anderson, who I love, or uh, John Bouchergrass, who is terrific, or the KG veteran. Steve Levy, uh, ex of WFAN fame, who's been there forever. Uh, but they are the most entertaining comp. So I'm sitting there just chilling, and I about to not, I'm about to nod off. And then all of a sudden, I, I, I hear the reference, you know, Illinois Plains, because you know when Neil when he gets loud, Illinois Plains wanted more LeBron James. He got Anthony Davis. 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 And then he's going, Anthony Davis. And I'm like, did I just hear my? Did I just hear him call my name? And then I text you, and then lo and behold, it actually happened. And Nick Wright finds out about it because after you sent out the re- recorded and sent out the tweet to the world, his producer Ty Butler got a hold of it. Ty Butler emailed it to me. And obviously you emailed it to the morning men or tweeted, tweeted out to the morning men and others. And when I come on the air with Nick on Friday, he says, by the way, did you hear I mentioned you? I gave you uh, a name check earlier in the show. When I said he was as our, our friend Al from White Plains called out, you know, Anthony Davis, yada, yada, yada. And I said, by the way, Nick, you weren't the second person to do that. And he's like, huh? And I said, well, Ty didn't tell you. And then I told him the whole story. He goes, you're kidding. He goes, come on. You got to be kidding me. Neil ever mentioned you on, on, on Sports Center? I said, he had to be listening to, uh, you, know, you know, I made the reference to my calls to Nick or Frank Isola on NBA radio. And so I, I'm going to take the credit. I'm going to say Neil, because Neil ever was listening to my show, listening to our show. So I'm gonna, and then, of course, he plays it. And he just says, that's amazing. And then Tom Byrne played it uh, the other night. It's just been, it's been hysterical. Absolutely hysterical. And obviously very proud that the great Neil Everett uh, would give me a shout out and us a shout out uh, because it helps it helps the program and gives us more credibility that 3000 miles away. We're getting mentioned, which is, as Neil Everett says, cool as a rule. Yeah. For anybody listening on the West Coast, now you at least have the answer to the Alan White Blaine's reference, which assuming went right over everyone's head from anywhere from, <laughs> I don't even know where you want to draw the line. The East coast at best, it, it was probably something that they didn't understand, but now we got it. Now, you know, what Neil Everett was talking about just 
absolutely fantastic. There's no other way to put it. It, it was a, a jaw dropping moment. And then to, <laughs> to watch the next hour and just make sure I wasn't losing my mind. Just fantastic. So if you're listening to this, Neil, and we were actually the inspiration for it, we appreciate it. Maybe you'll listen now that we could be your new inspiration. Sorry, Nick Wright. Sorry, Frank Isola. So there was that. And Neil and Stan, keep listening, baby. We love And we love the Oregon Ducks. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. You made reference to this already, the Lakers celebrating, remembering Kobe Bryant on what was Mamba Day on Monday. Sunday would have been his 42nd birthday. So obviously, as a Lakers fan, as a Kobe stan for his entire career, you you take a couple seconds over the weekend to reminisce. Unfortunately, remember how devastating it still is that he's gone. Gigi's gone. Seven others were killed as well. The feelings of that moment, thinking so early in the year, what could possibly be worse than this? Little did we know a month and a half later or whatever it would be the the country went into the shithole that it is still kind of in now, but what it meant for the basketball community and, and just kind of taking a step back to just see how much of an impact and how revered his name still is in the NBA. The pandemic didn't do away with his memory from what Tanya Gangley said on the LA times writing a story about how this year's team, they break practice. They say Mamba when, when they're in the huddle and they break out of practice now down in the bubble, everybody talks about him every day. Everybody has a story. They wore the jerseys on Monday. Kobe is still as much a part of the Lakers as he was when he was with the Lakers. It's incredible that they've carried around his legacy still as strongly today as when they were doing all of this in January. And it goes across the league. You see it on social media. You see it everywhere. So it was great to, to see again tributes both on Sunday and Monday of Kobe Bryant. And one of the things I was thinking about taking a, a bigger step back picture wise was how Kobe Bryant was able to manage his time. Like we know what he was like as a player. First guy in, last guy out. And by first guy in, it's three in the morning, four in the morning. He's getting in workouts. Guys are showing up thinking they're working out at six. He's been there for two hours. Just an obsessed, possessed man at his craft when he played basketball. And that obsession never left. When he retired, he just moved it on to different things. He moved it back to his family, which he never straight away from. He was always a girl dad. He was always family first. He just moved the obsession of, I have to be at the Staples Center for you know 12 hours today. So I'm going to pick the girls up from school. I'm going to go to the recitals. We're going to watch movies. We're going to do all this. But like, there wasn't just the family life. There's the outside projects. There's the interviews. There's the noise of could you do this? Could you do that? And you could hire publicists and assistants and all sorts of things to handle the media aspect. But what got me thinking was everybody has a Kobe story that's ever met Kobe Bryant. 
And those stories get shared around this time of year where simple acts from Kobe Bryant become lifelong memories. If you're not one of his inner circle close friends, which there's hundreds of those too. Simple things is he texted me before my game. He called me before my game or he just called at 2 a.m. to check in with me. He left me a note in my locker room. He did this. He did that. And you just think, how did he manage to do all of these things? Not only the family portion of life, not only the professional portion of life, but then there's just the life portion of life. Like getting a text from Shaq at like four o'clock in the afternoon, say, for example, or or Dwayne Wade wants to FaceTime you at nine at night or somebody leaves you a voicemail and how he was able to balance his time to do all this for everyone and, and seemingly never leave anyone hanging. Oh, he came down to our practice and he watched us for two hours. He came to our game the other night. He came over just to watch my kids for a couple hours while I ran some errands and he hung out with my family at the house. He, he's like, he was like a modern day Padre Pio, Al. Just in four to five to six different places at once, seemingly all the time. To be able to answer all the requests that he gets, to be able to be there for everyone that he was there for, it, it's, it'll always blow my mind how he was able to handle life and balance the time, especially in retirement. Cause we'll see online all the time. Somebody will share a picture of their mail app and you know, they have 126,000 unread emails cause they just put them all in the spam folder or somebody has hundreds of unread text messages and you get a little anxiety. Like how are you able to just let all that go? So I, I, I was just wondering like what Kobe's, let go was what his sacrifice was. And it was probably something like incredibly foolish and silly and something we would find hilarious, but would have aided Kobe Bryant every day. Like he, he manages his text messages. He manages his phone calls. He's good on social media. He answers his DMS on Instagram. He tweets back, but he's been trying to keep a Tamagotchi alive since the nineties and he just doesn't have the time. He just can't figure out how to find the time to keep this Tamagotchi alive. Just something silly like that, where he had to make a sacrifice and say, you know what? I can't keep up with this. It'll always fascinate me how he made time for everything that he did. And then conversely, how devastating it is that he barely had, when you think about it, time to do everything that he wanted from retiring in 2016 to unfortunately only having what three and a half years to really enjoy finally having some time for everything else that he was able to do. It's something else. Jerry West said it best when he said he was a man for all seasons. He was extraordinary uh, in terms of his intelligence, his curiosity, his versatility, his hunger to do so many things for so many, first and foremost, his wife and his girls, and then countless others in the sport and out of the sport as a role model, as an example for uh, the youth uh, doing so much for women's basketball and uh, 
doing everything he could to be the kind of person that would inspire. And he did it seemingly with everyone he touched. Winning an Academy Award in his first venture with, you know, his short film, Basketball. Uh, here's a guy who just retired, one of the greatest players of all time, and he ventures into this element of the media, and he wins an Academy Award. Just whatever he did, he did it with passion, he did it with heart, he did it with soul, and he did it with the desire and the goal that it be the best product he could possibly put forth with all of his effort. It may not be the best of that product, but it was the best he could produce. And he would settle for nothing less. That's the way he played. That's the way he competed. And that's why he has inspired so many, really, in the last few years, the declining years, if you want to use to say that term, of his career, and then in retirement. He became a more inspirational, well-respected figure in the last five to six years of his career and in retirement than he was winning championships with Shaquille O'Neal. The second half of his career was a renaissance. And he literally, as Jerry West said, was a renaissance man in all aspects of life. And he simply continued to inspire and he reveled in. His goal was to inspire others to be the best they could be at whatever it is they sought to excel. Because that's what Kobe Bryant did. He sought to be the best he could possibly be at whatever he took on. And that's what he sought to instill in others. And he did it when he was alive, and he continues to do it with his memory. And that's as great a tribute as you can have. And that's as great a uh, really a legacy as you can leave is to inspire others on a daily basis, on a regular basis. And you're, you're inspiring people who are already great. You're inspiring athletes and artists who are already at the top of their craft. They don't need to be inspired because they've already reached the top. And yet the way you carried on your life and your profession at the top of it and your endeavors after you left that profession, you inspire those to continue to go on to excel and achieve new heights. It's truly amazing. And it's a tragedy that we have to talk about it this way. Um, it breaks my heart. I cried on Sunday. I'll cry uh, every Kobe Bryant birthday, and I'll probably cry every anniversary of his death. He's my son's all-time favorite athlete, and uh, I'm going to find a way to get him one of those Kobe jerseys that they wore the other night, come hell high water, because he tried, and they was he set his alarm clock at 10 a.m., and he, got, he logged in, and he still got shut out. Well, um, shame on Nike for that, by the way, really quick, because they did not go about the release of the Mamba merchandise 
the way they would just regular merchandise. They do this sometimes with their sneakers, these hot to get items. Well, we're only going to have a certain number yep. available. Yep. Then you have these big time wholesalers and retailers buying up all the products yep. and then selling them for five or six times what they're worth. This is Kobe Bryant, man. You don't yep. pull that shit with Kobe Bryant. It's it's all of his fans trying to get their hands on this stuff. It's not this brand new shoe or, oh, we got to get this, the collectors. It's just common people that love Kobe Bryant and then wanted to get their stuff. Why you would seemingly quadruple the money you would make if you just made it a normal, well, the item is back ordered, but we got your order and you'll get it in X weeks. At least right. do that. What the way they went about it was awful, right. as well. And they're they're already out there for eight hundred bucks. Thieves, for this, really? Yep, eight hundred bucks. Unbelievable. Anyway, but you'll get one. I'll, I'll get him one eventually. We'll find a way. Be nice to have, at some point. Yeah, I mean, at some point, one of these years, I'll I'll get my hands on one as well. But yeah, it was it was an incredible two days, and any any time that anything's done for Kobe Bryant leading up to this point. Everything is, is mostly been incredible to watch, to see, to hear. And I don't see that stopping. And as you mentioned about inspiration, I don't see his inspiration stopping for a long time, which is unfortunate that it, it has to be without him here for it, but it's great to see that it's continuing and it was nice to see over this weekend. So just some thoughts, if anybody wants to check out on LondonBridge.com around his passing. We did it an hour just talking about what he meant to us and to the NBA and to the world. So you could go back on iTunes or on the web to find our soliloquies and rants when that unfortunately unfolded as well. Cause we were as raw as could be still kind of am, but at least we have other things going on. Like thankfully the Lakers playing. And now we get to the part of the show where you just assume things in our weekly segment of who do you think's going to win this when who really actually knows like you could say the Rockets thunder at this point on paper is a toss up. I would think more people would lean the Rockets. They had another historic night in losing shooting God awful three point numbers and added on to their overall record of setting worse three point shooting nights in the postseasons. They seem to do an incredible job at that. Daryl Morey thinks that the way he's constructed the team will end up with the national championship. will end up with the NBA finals. I th just think the way he's constructed the team, they're just setting three point records and not the good ones though. Oh my God. They missed 22 in a row from behind the arc. They missed 30 something plural. If it's not working, you got to try something else is all it comes down to. But you think they would write that ship eventually and beat the thunder. I, I would think, I guess maybe they're totally based on analytics and you know, the math that if, if you shoot a massive amount of threes and you shoot them, well, chances are you will win. But even the other day when they outscored, OKC by what, 36? They have 12 more threes. Uh, they still lost. So I don't believe that you can win a championship with that style with this team because 
they don't have enough good three-point shooters. If you've got enough good three-point shooters and you're going to shoot a massive amount of threes, well, then then I guess you could probably pull it off if you make your 40%, your 38 to 40%. But I don't think they have a good enough group of three-point shooters to do that. They've got the beard. Uh, and in my mind, really, Turner, good player, but is that a guy who's going to consistently knock down threes in a big spot? I don't believe so. Excuse me, Eric Gordon, not Eric Turner, Eric Gordon, good player, but that's not a guy who's going to be my championship go-to guy. Russ is not a big-time three-point shooter, and he still hasn't played yet in this series, and they need him. I don't care what anybody says. I don't know if they can beat OKC without him. Um, maybe, but again, it was a series that I didn't know was going to win when it started. At 2-0, you, you probably think it's over, but boom. They blow two big leads, and lo and behold, it's a 2-2 with Chris Paul basically taking over the series. And the beard gagging a couple times down the stretch, and they blow two big leads. And I don't know if Russ is playing in game five or not. Remains to be seen. Uh, I think they need him badly because I think they need some interior scoring. That's basically what he gives you because he has totally refashioned his game uh, in the pre-bubble before the season got cut short, where he started going to the rack and was one of the leading scorers in the league in the paint and cut way down on his three-point shots. And I think they missed that because they really don't have any interior scoring without him. You need some interior scoring. You need a threat of a guy going to the basket, not just shoot free throws. But they actually make baskets on the drive uh, and ones to finish. And Russ is one of the best finishers you know, on the planet. And they now don't have that. I don't think they can win a championship as structured. I certainly don't think they can win, beat the Lakers, uh, no matter how many threes they shoot. I think they could win a couple games, you know, because they'll have one, one or two games where they'll go goofy from three. And you say, Jesus Christ, but, but that, that, when you shoot that many, you know, every once in a while, you're going to make a bundle. But more often than not, you don't. There's a reason no one has won a title playing this way. Because so far, it hasn't worked. So is this a team with enough talent for it to work? I don't think so. Because they don't have a good group of three-point shooters. They have no inside game. And they don't defend. Bad combination. It would be nice to see Russ play two and at least be able to jaw while he's in the game and, and not, unfortunately his jawing now is coming from the bench, having to walk onto the court in street clothes, yelling at whatever player like Steven Adams, he wants to take, take in a Kobe jersey. Room. I might in a, Kobe in, a, jersey. in a Kobe jersey. It's been very interesting to watch. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. We already mentioned about the Jazz and the Nuggets. Based on where the series is, you assume the Jazz will be able to hold on. Who knows, though? It, it, it has been thrilling to watch Murray and Mitchell go back and forth, as you stated before, and, and on paper... If Chris Stapps Przingis can't play for Dallas, you would assume 
that unfortunately Luka Doncic can't carry the Mavericks every game like he was able to do in game four with a historic performance, a thrilling three pointer, a double bang from Mr. Breen, which you know that you made it when you get one of those two two bangs and you know, you've made it. And I'm, I'm sure half the stadium heard it. I at least hope so because that a fantastic call to go along with a fantastic moment. But unfortunately when your number two has a bum knee now, they're getting blown out in game five. We'll probably lose that. Now your backs are up against the wall. And as much as I dislike Paul George, and as much as I even more dislike Kawhi Leonard for dragging the Lakers through the mud, both of them when deciding where they were going to go play next and giving the little, like a carrot on a rope, just putting it out in front of the Lakers. Oh, maybe we'll come. Oh, we'll see. I don't know. And then this is the trash that you settled with. Kawhi, you wanted pandemic P as your number two. Good. See how that goes for you, dude. See how you like it. You stuck the Lakers with these dudes. They had to get off the street. Dion waiters coming to town. Mr. Smith coming back to LeBron. Cause you left us with nothing and to go get no one dragged us along. Good. See how it goes. So obviously, as you can tell, I'm not rooting for the Clippers, but it would just seem like they'll have enough in the tank to be able to hold off the Mavericks. I don't know if Chris Stapps Brzingis maybe could come back for like a game seven. Doesn't look good for game six. I would guess it's unfortunate. He seemingly wants to get out there and play and everybody's devastated that he can't, but without him, I don't know if, if they could find enough magic to win a seven game series, maybe get to a game seven, but I don't think get over the hump for the whole season. Uh, no, no they, 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 they don't have enough on the defensive end. Uh, and, as much as I love, you know, I love the way Trey Burke has been playing. I, I wanted him very much for the Lakers um, when he was available. I thought it would be a terrific fit. I'm shocked at their inability to defend him when they rave about this wonderful perimeter defensive team. Uh, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. not good enough to play for the Knicks, but you know, as, as, as pretty, uh, he reminds me a little bit. Obviously, not to that level. But in terms of his stroke and his face-up 17-footer, he reminds me a little bit of DeRozan, uh, and, and you know, uh, such a smooth, sweet mid-range game. And I, li- I liked Hardaway in college. Uh, I think he's a really good player, and uh, I think he's, he's he's really excelled in these playoffs to his credit. Um, but they they just they're not going to have enough here. I mean, I'd be shocked if uh, if they won another game in this series. Um, but you know, without, without Porzingis to me, the series that I want to talk about is the series I'm licking my chops over. It's the series I've been waiting for. Um, now we, we have two issues, Kyle Lowry, the little engine that could, my favorite player in the league, uh, left early in game four with a sprained ankle. Hopefully he's okay. And I do not know the status of Gordon Haywood. I believe he is out for this series. I'm pretty I sure. I believe so too. Yeah. So with that in mind, please tell me who you like and what I think is going to be a tremendous semifinal matchup between the two and the three who each swept uh, their respective opponents, Celtics, uh, defending champ Raptors uh, in what I think should be an all out war in the bubble. 
I would have to lean Raptors just because of the Gordon Hayward injury. And we've talked about it last week when it happened and now how terrible it is for them and for him. It seemed like he was finally getting back to Pete Gordon Hayward, what everybody expected him to be and and was gelling greatly with the younger guys on the team. They have an incredible spark. They have the capability in Boston to just go off before you could even blink. It would be cool if this series was in normal times, because then we could have a discussion of, I think everyone that played at home would win. The crowd would be absolutely incredible in in Toronto, obviously wild crowd and Boston. I, I mean, that, that would give you a 15 point advantage. You would think every night. But now that it's just on a neutral site, you're not going to get for either team. You're not going to get that excitement. I I think Toronto having that playoff pedigree and winning a championship last year, even without having Kawhi, they seemingly are in a, we're not trying to shock the world because we're nowhere this good, but we've got no pressure. Nobody expected us to be here so they can just go out and play. And they've been incredibly exceeding expectations that the public had of them, but they're matching the expectations they had of themselves. I think their experience will be enough to take them over the youth that leads the Celtics. But the series, as you said, this is one that will be most exciting. It's just unfortunate. We're not going to get to see it played in Canada and in Boston. Um, I, I would love to see this series, you know, in, in as, a, as you said, in the real world. Uh, I think these are two terrific teams, both playing really well right now. Um, the Raptors are just, they, they play with a chip on their shoulder. They play with an attitude. They play hard. They're incredibly well coached. Nick Nurse finally got the credit he deserves with the Coach of the Year award. Um, you know, they finished second in the East after they win the championship and lose Kawhi. Really remarkable. Uh, Siakam has become a very, very, not great, but a very, very good player. Kyle Lowry is, is as I said, my favorite player, one of the best leaders in the sport and so valuable to them. Fred Van Vliet, impossible to pronounce. You always want to say Van Vliet, but it is Van Vliet. Say it five times fast. Has become a terrific backcourt mate. Um, a guy who I have a ton of respect for because he made a, signed a huge contract and kind of was a forgotten man and disrespected a lot. But um, their big guy coming off the bench, formerly of uh, OKC, who is an excellent shot blocker and has become a real scorer. And all of a sudden, while I'm talking about him, I completely forgot his name. And that's why it's part of the old report. Um, help me out. Usually by the time I can help you, you figure out who it is though. God, I'm drawing a complete blank. <laughs> the six eleven guy, he was, he was the center in OKC. He was a huge factor in the championship last year. He played, he's been playing really well off the bench, uh, and, and scoring off the bench. Had a huge game the other night, uh, along with Powell. I think they, the bench scored a hundred points for time in NBA playoff history. Come on. What's his name? Marcus Saul? No. <laughs> you sure? Are you kidding me? What? 
You sure it's not Marcus All? He's tall. Of course it's not Marcus All. <laughs> I would know Marcus All. Marcus All was never on OKC. Serge Ibaka is probably your looking yes, for. Yes, thank you. Serge Ibaka has taken to the uh, bench role, coming off the bench, uh, and has played incredible for them. He was terrific last year in the postseason. He had a great year this year, and he really gives them a huge spark at both ends of the court. On the glass, defending, shot blocking, and scoring. And I, I think he's really become one of the most underrated players in the league. Uh, and they're playing, you know, with, with the attitude that nobody wants to give us credit as champs, and nobody thinks we can win as defending champs. And the Celts are the Young Turks. Um, you know, they have two incredibly gifted young players in Brown and Tatum. Uh, they've got the KG vet Kemba Walker, who's got the balky knee, but it's a perfect fit for them uh, versus Kyrie Irving. And, you know, I feel badly for Gordon Hayward. I know he signed for a ton of money, and that's great. But, you know, the, the guy's, no pun intended, he can't seem to get a break. Um, he really was, I don't know that Gordon Hayward was ever going to get back to where he was physically in Utah, but he was really playing very, very well. Uh, and it looked like they were meshing as a group and all in a scenario where they had a, a legitimate big three. And that's not even counting Kemba Walker. And then have him go down like that. Uh, I, I just, I feel badly, even though I've always despised the Celtics. This is not a, this is not a despicable Celtic team because I love Tatum. I think Brown is a, is a, fabulously gifted player um, and plays very hard with uh, an attitude towards improving all the time. And uh, I love their coach. So I just think it's going to be a great, a great series. I think this has a chance to be the best series of the playoffs. Yeah. And we could be surprised. I think the heat and the bucks, I'm assuming they beat the magic will probably be a very exciting series too because Jimmy Butler doesn't give a shit about anything that you Jimmy think, Butler is, you got the defensive player that you're great I'm gonna go drop 30 on his ass just shooting the paint all night how's that it's gonna be exciting I give, Jimmy Butler, I give Jimmy Butler a lot of credit um he left the Sixers because he didn't think the Sixers had enough of an edge to him he didn't think there was enough fight in the Sixers he was right Sixers have no heart none they play with no heart their stars play with no heart Jimmy Butler is not a great player. Jimmy Butler is a just below great who plays really hard and with a chip on his shoulder that makes him better than some great players. You mentioned the Sixers quickly on what happened to them. I guess not shocking that they lose the series, more shocking that they were swept. Not having Ben Simmons isn't the easiest things to overcome with Joel Embiid, who is, as the critics say, injury prone, lazy, looks out of breath, whatever. All the money that they spent on the guys that they brought in this season, whatever. Brett Brown lasts, what, less than 24 hours after the loss before he gets fired by the 76ers? They wasted no time running his, his ass out of town. Seven years? See ya. We need victories is what we need, Brett. And we talked very briefly before the show that, okay, I mean, somebody has to take the fall, be the fall guy. Elton Brand, the GM, lasts. Everybody else is, is there still. They just went with the head coach. And what you have to be the trust the process 
doorstop really for a couple of years, just a can being kicked down the street, knowing that your team's going to be trash. It finally gets good. You have a couple injuries last year. You lose by a bounce. Well, you know, four bounces, however many it was to go to the finals. Then this year, your best player goes down. Might be a rough deal. Not saying that Brett Brown is the guy and he would have been, but eh, it's tough. It's, it's a tough way to go. I, I didn't understand what they did in the off season. Um, I like Al Horford. I think he's a really good player. I did not think spending a fortune on Al Horford was a good move for them. They talked about, oh, they're going to be so strong inside defensively. Uh, look, they, they got the big guy already. Right? They don't need to spend that kind of money on an aging Al Horford. And then they spent a fortune uh, on resigning their shooting guard slash small forward. I mean, he makes $35 million a year. $35 million a year. That's right. $35 million a year. And he's a nice player. But And now you have two contracts that are absolutely positively untradeable. Untradeable. Orford starts, sometimes he doesn't. You've got a mishmash. Uh, you know, you've got no cap room. So I don't know what they're going to do. Um, I don't know who their coach is going to be. And I don't know if they're going to keep their two young stars together. If they're going to trade one of them. I can't even tell you which one I think is more tradable. Because they both get hurt a lot. Simmons hurt now. And Beeb nicked up all the time. Always, always complaining about something. Simmons can't shoot. Um, it's, it's an odd couple those two. And it's a franchise that went from having an incredibly rosy future to, I think is in a complete state of disarray. And I have no idea how they're going to fix it. We saw a no hitter tonight from the white Sox, by the way. So first bubble, no hitter history made in 2020 Lucas Giolito gets Gilly, it done tonight. And I guess we'll count it against the pirates, but you know, it is the pirates. It is the pirates. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, for my partner, the great John Tiny Lund, I am Al Renato AKL from Red Plains. Have a great and safe sports week, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.